Okay. And this brings me back to meditation. And one of the one of the important teachings of Middle Eastern philosophy is acceptance, learning acceptance. And I, you know, one of the things that I found to help me with the anger is learning acceptance, whether it's chronic pain, whether it's having the opportunity to find out who you are and become a, a more authentic you, taken from you, you know, whatever the issues are. I feel personally responsible for, you know, my son being directed to Eagle Scout instead of Civil Air Patrol, despite what his preferences were, all those things. I'm working on acceptance and I think it helps. Yeah, Yeah, that totally helps. It helps with anger too, not just with the church, but anger in other areas of life. Um, In the church, we're taught that contention is of the devil. And so my whole life, I have actively fought the feelings of anger that I, that I encounter in my life. And that fight against the feeling only exacerbates it, only yep. makes it worse. Yep. And accepting your feelings and truly allowing yourself to feel anger is the best medicine for it. Because you're not fighting yourself and you're not making it worse by trying to fight your own normal emotions and feelings. So acceptance is key to to any healthy life. And that's what the church really is bad at, is acceptance of valid emotions and feelings and experiences. Because if it's not in that box, whether it's what you feel or what you think about other people, then it's not acceptable. And that's that's really damaging. Right. And And don't that a study of the scriptures will change behavior faster than a study of behavior will change behavior from a mental health expert there. To go along with, you know, with what you're saying about feeling sadness and remorse for not being able to figure yourself out in development years, you know, looking back and seeing like, who am I and having that existential crisis to go along with your faith crisis with, being single and going out, you know, because we have several single members in our group, uh, single parents now. And I think part of it is it's difficult to start getting back into dating and, and looking for a potential spouse after having left the church or in the process of leaving, because it's hard enough trying to find someone that you want to be compatible with, but you're also working against yourself because you don't even know, like, who are you at this point? Who, you know, you don't even know who you want to be with because you're still trying to figure yourself out. I mean, that's not to say that every person who gets married in the church is, you know, doomed with their partner, but how many people do get married for just really asinine reasons, just because either availability or, or what have you, where looking back, people who have gone through faith crisis, crises, and are still married i think that's great i think that's great you know that can work and it happens but i think a lot of people they look back and they think would i have married this person had it not been influenced in the church that's not this to downplay the the person but if they're like in an abusive negative situation how many of them stay in those relationships because of the influence of the church and like we have people in our group that you know did the deep dive and say do we actually love each other or did we just get married because friends and family wanted us to and that's what our church was telling us to and do we actually have good compatibility um so there's there's part of that existential crisis that in in developing oneself you're still figuring yourself out and looking at your 
your spouse and seeing and trying to find your compatibility. I really like what what John DeLynn and what others have done in their marriages where it's almost like they have like a second or a third marriage where they kind of create almost like new wed new wedding vows to themselves where they say, look, we've gone through something terrible and we've we've changed and we're growing because of it. This is where our values are now. Instead of having scripture night or, you know, having family prayers and stuff, we have a different set of values that we want to share together and try to improve upon our, our lives. And, and does this, you know, looking at every shattered piece of our identity, you pick one up one at a time and say, does this add value to our love, to our marriage and everything and evaluate it on its own terms? Very nice. Thanks, Siobhan. Yeah. Susie is ready to go. Oh, I don't really have a good What's story. story? <laughs> what broke your shelf? Well, for starters, it was because my husband, I saw his life change because he was doing so much better once he started meditating and um, stuff. But he did a ton of the research. He doesn't like when I say this, but he did a ton of the research and he started telling me and I didn't want to hear anything. I didn't want to know. And being the person he is, he would still say <laughs> what, what he wanted, what he had found out. So I started listening and then I started researching. And then what I found and from what he had said and stuff, I realized. It seemed to me like the thing that really got you was when I came across that internal study the church had done oh. on um, issues of why people are leaving the church. I think it's 2013. And I read, went through, I sent it to, to Susie and Susie started reading it. And I, it seemed to me like that's when things really started changing for you. Yeah. And I realized there was a lot more people out there that had, I think that also helped, but also a big thing that I don't think it, I would have changed, but when we moved back East, cause I grew up in Utah and church, everything, I, it was the biggest shock to me ever that people that weren't LDS were so nice. That was a huge thing for me when we were back there for 10 years. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, some of those people were way nicer than anybody that was in the church. And so when all this came up with the shelf breaking or whatever, I don't think if I would have had that experience of realizing that people outside the church were so amazing that I don't know if I would have gone for that. But because of that, I think it gave me permission to like consider it. Yeah, so. And how did you feel when you decided? I was very worried about, because like my family, my, especially my parents, if they knew they'd have a heart attack. Because <laughs> I've been the perfect, in fact, everybody's always called me a modern woman. And um, so I've always done what I'm supposed to do. I'm on a mission, you know, I've done cover in the temple everything. So I think the biggest thing, my biggest fear was relationships with family. At first, I was really worried when my husband said that he didn't believe anymore because relationships are a huge thing for me. And it's, I was so worried about our kids. I was worried about my family, his family. Like we moved here recently and we're making all these friends in our ward, you know, what's going to happen here. And so I guess my big thing is I'm very insistent that we take it slow. Like I'm still in young women's. <laughs> so, wow. Describe that. 
I just got asked to teach next week's lesson. <laughs> oh my gosh. What is your lesson? It's on, um, what is it? How can I be more Christ-like leader? So, hmm. so luckily that one's, um, that one's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I haven't looked at all the information yet, but. Um, please don't guilt and shame people into not, into feeling bad about having feelings of anger. Yeah. <laughs> I think in a future recording, we should discuss the whole family and friends thing. What do you think? And I'd love to have, you know, where we can have different topics if we, if we want. So like we can, we can talk about different things, you know, cause we've talked about a multitude of things today where we say that we have a podcast where we delve into issues or we delve into like, you know, one's family and friends, one's on Today, we're going to talk about the first vision in entirety as a topic. One's going to be how to, to talk to spouses or whatnot and have different experiences from members that we have that have tried different things. Yeah, I don't mind tangents because that's one of the things I love about our in-person group is the tangents we go on. So, but, you know, like things that are big like this, they probably deserve to have it be a subject not that we can't talk about anything else but you know yeah george can bring up how he renewed his special events pass and you know oh oh, yeah (laughs) quit the movers quorum (laughs) yeah yeah right i did recently renew my special events pass i'd like to hear that story please (laughs) Which, which the special events pass yes sir oh yeah well see when i got my special events pass renewed my temple recommend renewed two years ago, the bishop signed it. He says, now, he says, the state president, the air authority said they don't just want this used as a special events pass. Whatever level of temple attendance you're doing right now, triple it. And I was like, huh. So if you're telling me that if I'm going once a day, now I'm supposed to start going three times a day. I mean, you know, that's just so arbitrary to say triple it whatever you're doing now. And it's just things like that that started really getting on my nerves along with the movers quorum and the other things I mentioned earlier. So, so anyway, it came up for renewal again, uh, just a few weeks ago, but I read the CES letter a year and a half ago and, you know, all along I've been thinking saying, okay, I'm not going back to the temple ever again for anything other than a special event. And yeah, if my daughter gets married and she gets married in the temple, I want to be there. And I'm not going to exclude myself just because, you know, the the church has come up with a set of rules that I got forced into by birth, you know, and not my own choice and and those kinds of things. And my other, you know, rationale on it is the church, we're playing the same game, but they're playing by a different set of rules, which is they get to lie and withhold truth whenever they want, whenever it suits them. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to start playing the game by their set of rules, which is uh, when it suits me, I'll tell the truth I want to tell and I'll withhold the part I want to withhold. And so I went in and I, I uh, renewed my special events pass. And when they asked me, you know, those questions, do you sustain, uh, you know, the general authorities and that thing? I was like, yes. And, you know, I could tell you the spirit of discernment was strong. And stake president member on the other end of, end of the Zoom call, he just Every time I answered a question in front of him, he's got this big, like, he's like, oh, you're just making me feel so good in my heart when you answer affirmative. And, and the thing is, when I, if I said yes, he would like, mm, big smile. But when I said, yes, I do, he would do the big smile. He even stepped back a step or two. 
And then he'd come back again. It's like, oh man, that really felt good. I like, like rocked him off his feet. You know, when I said, yes, I do. And, you know, I'm going to be mocking some things here, but I, you know, it's not the individuals. He just trying to do the best, you know, do the best he can. It's such a repetitive thing. I feel bad for him. You know, he's having to go through the, all those motions and things like that, but you were just burning the hell out of his bosom. (laughs) I was, it's like, Okay, I know that you know that I know that neither one of us knows, you know, or something like that. <laughs> and I got my pass, my special events pass, and I went out and everything's fine. And I have it now. And I played, I paid an obligatory amount of tithing, a small token amount before our tithing recommend or tithing, tithing mm-hmm. settlement. And, um, you know, next year will probably be even a lot less than that and maybe nothing, hopefully. But, uh, you know, it was kind of the same thing with the tithing settlement It's sort of like, here, here it is. And, you know, I dare you to, I dare you to prove me a liar, you know, kind of thing. Go ahead. If you think you can prove that I'm a liar, whether about my special events pass or about my tithing settlement, go for it. Cause I, I can tell you, you know, and if you think you can track me down under my Reddit, you know, my Reddit handle, uh, you know, or whatever other things that you can recognize my voice on this zoom call, go for it. Cause I'll just deny it. You know, as long as I have to, to maintain my relationship with my family, because the relationships are the most important thing. And I have no qualms, none whatsoever of lying back to an organization that not only lied to me, but trapped me in, into a position where my only way out is to lie. Yeah. It's like they've held our families hostage in a way. And I never really grasped that we were actually buying our way into heaven. I mean, it goes against everything that is supposedly taught as a value, but they are essentially getting paid to get us into heaven <laughs> as far as having to pay tithing to get our temple recommended, be with our family and be sealed and all that. Oh, and don't forget the service. That brings up a metaphor that I kind of, you know, a comparison I, I came up with years ago when I was still a total believer in this observation about, you know, church members. And it's not, a, it's not a fallacy or shortcoming of church members. It's the, um, it's just the dynamic of the culture that's been developed. So the thing that set Martin Luther off, as I recall, did some research on it years ago. The thing that set him off was there were people in his parish in Germany in what, 1500s, that were going to a different parish somewhere else in Germany. And they would, they would go to this cathedral parish, whatever, and they would view what are called icons. So if you go to this place and you view this artifact right here, this was the Virgin Mary's left big toenail. And this over here, you know, this is the Holy Grail. You know, the whole movies have been made about that because if you got the Holy Grail, you really got it big. So anyway, these different cathedrals, parishes in Germany and around Europe would have these collections of these artifacts, these icons. And the way it worked is if you could go every time, if you viewed an icon, you got a certain number of points to get into heaven. And these these points would accumulate. Well, guess what, though? You had to pay in order to get into the museum to see the artifacts and the icons. And so when he got wind of this, that this was happening, his his parishioners were going, going to these places and doing this. You know, he just got indignant and he started digging into things and, you know, kind of unraveled. And there, now we have Protestantism, thanks to him and, and a few other progressive thinkers. But uh, the comparison I made was, I, I feel like there's this thing in the LDS church. It's like, you have got to serve. You have got to rack up those brownie points. You know, you've got to help that person move. 
the movers quorum. You know, you have got to get down. You've got to get into the to the temple and do those initiatories. Get those names. You've got to go out and help pick the pick the pears or whatever it is. You know, at the state welfare farm. You've got to get out and do this stuff because your salvation is on the line. You've got to rack up those points. Well, it's interesting to hear your version of what needs to be done for the points from a male's point of view. And I would argue that the women have even more almost to do. I mean, there's all these unwritten expectations like your house should be perfect. Your garden and yard should be perfect. Your kids should be perfect. You should be able to cook wholesome meals three times a day. You should write in your journal. You should visit the sick. You should take meals to the sick. You should, um, what, what else? Your, be your appearance, your, your appearance. body is a temple. I just saw that the LDS church has a, on their website, they have a section for sister missionaries and how to apply their makeup. I thought it was a joke. And then I went to it. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And they're talking about concealer and, and eyeshadow and how to apply it. <laughs> Cause you know, they want those salespeople to look good. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Yeah, exactly. They want them to look good, but in a very conservative way. It's so funny because you look at the way they're showing them how to do their makeup. It's all very kind of very conservative. You know, all of them look like they are not wearing a whole lot of makeup. The guys have been getting that same stuff. I mean, back when I went on my mission, they literally sent in my mission package a booklet on personal grooming. And they had like five or six different examples of what an appropriate missionary haircut looked like hmm. uh, so it's obviously because men don't wear makeup our instruction manual is a lot shorter than yours but this is no new thing that the church is trying to control they've been trying to control this crap for years but the lord does not look on the outer appearance or whatever that scripture is <laughs> yeah but men do <laughs> yeah, right. beauty is is doth skin deep unless thou is is an asshole but going back to Susie's um shelf breaking i i you know i think with 99 percent of the women in the church polygamy was always an item on the shelf from the very beginning yeah it was yeah it was you know what what went through your mind as a true believing mormon about polygamy because did you think to yourself okay you get one of two alternatives I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to enter into polygamy. I'm going to hate it, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's required. Now, does that sound like eternal bliss to you? Okay, there's that. Or there's, I'm just not going to do it. And if that happens, you've done everything else right. For what purpose? To end up in the terrestrial kingdom or whatever. Yeah, about the last five years or so, I guess it was after my divorce, I decided that I would not mind being a ministering angel. And I told that to my older, very active brother, and he just laughed and went, oh, Judith. <laughs> yeah. Right. Was, was there anything else in the shelf? Oh, you've been reading The Mormon Murders. Oh. The book about the Salamander, yeah. uh, Mark Hoffman. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, you guys, too, because, um, George, you mentioned the CES letter and how that was so explosive i i asked this to judith earlier um but in reading the ces letter since that was so influential and and explosive all at once because there's so many things listed on the document what percentage do you think 
was in that that you had never come across, never heard of, had no, was not on your radar at all? I would say about 100% of it. I mean, I knew about polygamy. I think I knew that Joseph Smith had had wives, not just Brigham Young. So I knew that, but I didn't know he, they had been underage girls. I didn't know that he had coerced the one with promises for her and her family, not only herself, but her whole family to get into heaven if she would just marry the prophet. I didn't know about Paul. I had no clue about polyandry. So anyway, underage marriages and polyandry, no clue. The other thing about masonry, I can't remember what there was about in the CES letter about masonry, but I knew about masonry. I don't think there was anything in the CES letter that blew me away as far as the temple or masonry, because I went through before, you know, 1990 when the penalties were taken out. But I had I never, ever heard of the Adam God doctrine, never heard of blood atonement, although I had had hints of it. I had never heard of the issues with the Book of Abraham or the Kinderhood Plates. I had never heard that there were multiple versions of the first vision. I had never heard that uh, David Whitmer said that he saw the angel in his place with the spiritual eyes. You know, I, I would say, if not 100%, at least 95% of it I had never heard before. And that's, that's pretty significant because you've been a lifelong member and attended meetings, listened, served a mission, everything, and none of that was, was even remotely on, on the radar at all. And a lot of that goes back to what you were saying earlier. Um, yeah. You went for your special events pass. The church has knowingly withheld information. And I, I don't know, I, jury's out for me on whether or not they believe that it's all BS. Um, but at the very least, you know that by the time you get up to the quarter of the 15, they know the issues. They also know what's been withheld. And my guess is that they know other things that, have yet, that we've yet to find out that, that they're holding back. And to your point, I, I candidly, I'd never really thought of all of a sudden, I think that I would not have a problem going in and just lying straight face to a bishop or a state president and withholding all the information. Do you live the word of wisdom? Yes. Now, what I'm withholding is the fact that I don't believe the word of wisdom really is important, and therefore the fact that I drink coffee is irrelevant because the word of wisdom, spirit of the law says, try to be healthy. Well, I'm trying to be healthy, therefore, yes. Uh, I mean, all of a sudden, I, I'm not sure that I would have a real problem, not outright lying, but withholding and being deceptive because they've been it. I couldn't do that though. I thought about that after I was Googling how to stay in the church and then John Dillon, or yeah, John Dillon's thing came up about how to sort of um, selectively answer the questions in a way to stay in. And to me that felt deceptive. And if I'm not gonna become like them, you know, that, okay, they treated me this way, but my values are still truth and honesty. So I'm, I know what they're asking and I'm not gonna lie about it. So that's why I resigned. How much of, of the information knowledge and spread do you think is still happening or the deception happening? Because I think my perception is that the younger members of the church are much more aware of the problem issues than older people. Like, Until... us. like my son is on a mission and I think he knows quite a few of the problems with the church. And well... I think the missionaries mind. in general are becoming more and more aware of these things because, you know, the internet's pretty much everywhere and the investigators can come at them with real information. 
So to answer your question, Danny, until the church starts openly acknowledging the problems, including changing the curriculum that the missionaries are teaching, for those of you who don't know, I both have sons on missions and they're about, I mean, my son's just past the year mark, so they're similar to yours. But the point is, they've both been instructed in how to teach and what to teach and what not to teach. And until the church changes the curriculum that they use to go attract new members, in my mind, they're hiding information deliberately, right? That's a, that's an absolute, that's not a sin of omission. That's now a sin of commission because they're deliberately training the missionaries to withhold that information from potential investigators. Uh, and in my mind, that's fraud. And so I guess going back to the original comment, when you're, t- when you're dealing with a fraudulent organization to begin with, is it fraudulent to play by their rules? They've established the rules. Can you then go play by the rules they've established? I am, but they made it okay within their context. I respect other people's dis- decision to maintain their integrity and all those kinds of things. My, my rationale wasn't just, if it had just affected me, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have just, I would have, you know, told them exactly how I felt because like you put her up earlier, they're holding our family, they're holding us hostage because of the family thing. And so it's because of that element of it. If it was in a different context where uh, one person can be into ice skating and another person could be into computers and another person can, uh, you know, like anime and another person is Buddhist and, you know, people, and it just doesn't matter. Everybody can get together and people can mix and match and, and you can come and go without consequences, relationship consequences. But because of this, the church put me in this position. So I have a question for you. If you're a hostage, if you're trapped in a basement and you had to lie to your captor to get out, you wouldn't see anything wrong with that, would you? You wouldn't see a single thing wrong. It was like, well, I'm lying. You know, I really can't lie. I got to maintain my integrity. What do I do? I choose between getting free, breaking free of this kidnapper or maintaining my integrity. Well, you know, I think it's pretty reasonable to break free of the kidnapper. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I would lie to get out. I'm not sure if I would lie to get in <laughs> to the temple. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not judging you for doing it or anyone who does it, but I'm trying to think like, where do we draw the line? Because then is it okay to lie in business situations if it's, if we feel it's for the greater good? And so then we're all having to judge what if, what if two people have different ideas of the greater good, who wins out? Like, I don't know. Cause I feel like that's kind of what has happened in our country today almost. But, but the thing is, you say lying to get into the temple, but if you don't lie to get into the temple, then you're pretty much out of the church. And that wedge is driven. You, they go, it's the way the church set it up. I can't help it. If I don't show up for my daughter's wedding, you know, then it gets out of the bag. Yeah. Yeah. That's why this topic deserves some more discussion because I mean, there's got to be a way to interact with our family and friends and let them know why we can't be there without driving a wedge. It's kind of like what, with how new name Noah, how he forges those, those fake temple recommends that bypasses the need for people to be put in those situations altogether where they can still feel some sort of, you know, like it's their own moral 
ambiguity or you know they can justify it by not having to answer the questions on entirely and just use a fake recommend that gets them to achieve the same results as other people who would just go through the process and to them that's that's morally you know it's a great area but to them it's it's less of an issue than having to feel like they're they're lying to to someone who they hold in a higher position that could be someone that they actually know personally I don't know. It's a complex situation and, you know, you could be morally dubious one way or another for how you justify things one way or another. It is tricky. And like new name Noah, of course, people criticize him for how he's gone about things and posting the videos of the temple ceremonies and everything. But at the same time, I guess it's kind of good that he did because now people could actually go and see what they're going to say yes to and covenant to if they go through the temple. And can you imagine if they had recorded the ceremony before 1990? Like I went through after that and I, I was shocked to hear what other people had done. Yeah. You know, done. I thought it was weird enough as it was, you know. Like a certain someone that was here earlier who looked up yeah. the temple videos before she went in. I'm sure all of us have done temple prep classes before, and all of us can attest to the fact that temple prep does not prepare you for the temple one bit well i'll say it prepares you from the standpoint it it prepares you from the church's standpoint which is it deepens your commitment <laughs> to withstand whatever <laughs> shocking things you're going to be shown yeah like my mother telling me ahead of time that there was going to be a prayer circle and that she wanted me to be a part of it to do it for my first time you know, Madonna style, I guess. But to be able to experience that my first time at the temple, that was more preparing for me than temple prep classes were. And freaking going up and doing a prayer circle the very first time you're there, it's like, okay, okay, uh, guys. <laughs> well, and so the clothes too. I mean, I, I would love to study the sociology of these things because it seems like a lot of these groups like the Masons or whatever, or weird fraternities, they have these sort of initiation type of rituals that's supposed to make you more strongly tied to the group. And so I'm, I'm curious about that. And if it works, did, did I stay in so long because I had this weird <laughs> initiation ritual that made me feel like I was in the secret, secret, sacred, special group, even though it was weird, it kind of bound us together. I, I wonder. I think it absolutely binds us together. Uh, and I will say, having been a teacher of a temple prep class, now in fairness, just as a, in a substitute role, uh, my take on the temple prep classes was that, and, and this was not my take then when I was teaching, uh, my take on it now is simple. It's the temple prep class is designed to scare you into not walking out, right? Because temple prep, they don't talk about what's going to happen in the temple. All they talk about is the importance of going through the temple. And geez, if you don't go to, through the temple, look at all you're going to give up. And that's part of the hostage taking. That's part of putting you in the cage so that when you get there and you're going, oh my gosh, had my dad not been sitting next to me in the temple, I would have got up and walked out. I've never, I went through the Salt Lake Temple first time prior to the 1990 changes. So you know, I did the whole, you know, that whole thing and during a live session and it just freaked the hell out of me. 
Uh, and I wanted to get it, walk out. My dad was right there and it was, he was just kind of a stabilizing factor, but I was too scared. I'd been through temple prep. I'd been told, oh my gosh, if you don't do this, you're giving up your chance at eternity and the eternal families and all this. So yeah, temple prep isn't about explaining what the temple is going to be about. It's all about scaring you into not walking out the door. That's my take. What is Susie's take? She's very quiet. And she's going to give you her take, and then we got to go. Kids are kids are home from church. On the whole temple thing, I don't know. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts, Susie? Yeah. Any final thoughts? Um, well, one thing that went on this week because um, George George has been <laughs> so upset. One thing I wanted to put into perspective because we grew up in the church. And that's been a part of our life because one of his big things is he can't get to choose for himself and he wishes some things were different. But I said to look back and I go, we're in a great spot right now. Like our kids are amazing. We have four really good kids and three of them are listening to what we have to say right now. And um, overall, things are great at the moment, even though we're remodeling, our house is a mess. It's... <laughs> So if we hadn't gone through what we had been through, we wouldn't be where we are right now. So to even though life could have been way different if we weren't in the church, we can't go back and change it. So we need to realize where we are now and just kind of move forward and be grateful for where we're at at the moment. That's a good attitude. So it's back to acceptance. Yeah. And, and gratitude. Yeah, I agree. Well, we're really grateful that you showed up today to share your stories. I think it's going to be really helpful to so many people that are experiencing the same things that you are to know that they're but, not alone. We're going to check out, but real quick, I just, one last thing to tie this last thought up that I had about the lying for your special events pass, as opposed to lying for the Lord. You know, I, I feel like we're somewhat victims of the conditioning that been put on us. You know, are you honest with your dealings with your fellow man and all, you know, all those kinds of things, these expectations that we live according to certain laws. Of course, you know, once you get up to a certain level, you're not really bound to those things anymore. Like, you know, you start to get a pass, you know, whether you're talking about taking extra wives or withholding part of the essential truth, doesn't matter, you know, and, and I, I just think it's important just to be cognizant of that, how much of this is conditioning that was imposed on me, and I'm, I'm not really thinking like I would think about this, I might not be coming to the same decision I would come to, if it weren't for the conditioning. Yeah, and I hope I didn't offend you, like in our group, we just say what we're thinking at the time, and a lot of times our opinions change, and, and we, it's just kind of nice to hear everybody else's thought processes. So I wasn't trying to like be critical of what you've done at all. I hope well, you yeah, we say that. what we feel. Yeah, we do. We say what we feel, <laughs> and no, we I'm, don't. I'm gonna... We don't yeah. judge. Yeah, I, I I get that. It's much less judgmental environment. Yeah, from the get go than yeah. I've ever been around the church. I think it would be a great topic for a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's something that's worth exploring. I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you kind of have, like, like I said earlier, George, and I don't even know your real name, George. I'm just going to, yeah. if I ever meet you, I'm probably going to end up calling you George. So I apologize yeah. in advance. Uh, <laughs> but um, like I said earlier, I, I hadn't really thought 
it was an interesting, interesting perspective that you offered. And I'd never thought of it that way. It's like, okay, so I have an organization that has established a set of rules and then refuse to live by those rules. The secret rules and the rules for everybody else. Yeah. But does that mean, okay, you made up the rules and then chose not to obey them. Does that then right. exonerate me? Does that does that then put me in a position where I'm I'm under no moral obligation to obey those same rules, or do do my morals, regardless of what they are, are they universal? In other words, can morals be conditional, right? And I, yeah, I think it's, it's a, a I think it'd be a fascinating conversation to have. Well, when you put it like that, it, I can see the analogy of when the country was founded. They didn't like Britain's rules, so they made their own rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was a good first session and it'll be good to flesh this all out and get more people on board and involved and we'll see how it goes.